0: This is Real Estate Rookie, episode two hundred and sixty-five. I also reached out to the Sober Living Coalition in our, our our area, and I started going to their meetings. And they gave out like a kind of a packet, I guess, of some sorts that had and some intake papers. And then Reed and I really sat down and and thought about what what, what our why was, how we wanted people to feel in our house. Um, And we started structuring our paperwork off of that and off of experiences that we knew people had in other sober livings. Like how could we make it different? And we just kind of formed it from there. My name
1: is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host Tony Robinson.
2: And welcome to The Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today I want to start out by shouting out a special person in the rookie audience that goes by the username Smiley21. And Smiley21 left us a five-star review on Apple Podcast that says, a must listen as a newbie. I'm so happy to have discovered The Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Ashley and Tony do a great job of breaking things down while keeping the show entertaining with their banter and jokes. I hope to begin my journey this year in real estate and this podcast has been so inspiring. So Smiley21, we appreciate you. Um, We also hope this year is super successful for you and thanks for supporting the podcast. So if you haven't yet, uh, please do leave us an honest rating review on whatever platform it is you're listening to. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can reach, more folks we can help.
1: And let's let's be clear about that review is my jokes, because I think there's been like two times that I could in the history of this podcast where you cracked a joke. And I remember typing to you. Oh, I got it. So funny. Good job.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. But they also love the banter, which is awesome. Which is, and it's so funny because I'm actually, I'm in Houston right now. So if you guys are watching on YouTube, I'm like in, a, in an Airbnb in Houston. And I've had so many people come up to me. Um, it's actually Rob from the Real Estate Podcast. Rob Obisola has, has been out here. And I've had so many people come up to me and say, Tony, I love yours and Ashley's banter. Please don't ever stop it. Forget the haters that are saying that the the, the banter is boring. So we, I, I appreciate you guys for having our backs.
1: Yeah, yeah, we really do appreciate it because I can't take any constructive criticism. So. <laughs> But Tony, how is the conference going? And you also have your own conference coming up too.
2: Yeah, it's it's conference season right now. So yeah, so Rob has his event called HostCon. It's uh, obviously about investing in short-term rentals. Some amazing speakers coming out. So I was uh, on stage with Rob and our buddy Kai Andrew. We did like a live YouTube thing and did some Q&A with the audience. So that's super cool. Rob's obviously an amazing host and, and so much good content coming up. And then literally in like nine days, I leaving to Orlando for our event, the SDR Summit. So we'll have... Almost 400 people uh, all gathered in, in Orlando to talk short-term rentals for a few days. So it is it is definitely a, a busy couple of weeks for us. But we're excited. The events in person are always fun.
1: Yeah. By the time this airs, both of those events will be long gone. I think this comes out in March personally.
2: Yeah. But if you want to go to the next one, strsummit.com or hostcon.com. Uh, for Rob's event, you guys can hang out with us in person.
1: Yeah, I am uh, attending Tony's event in Orlando, and trust me, I'm really, really hoping for warm
2: weather. So the, yeah, I'm almost nervous that you're coming because you bring bad weather everywhere you go. <laughs> so hopefully, we break that streak.
1: I know, like it did w- December when we went to Phoenix; it was freezing. I brought my bathing suit, everything. It's like don't. <laughs> I almost, I almost door dashed a sweatsuit to the, the Airbnb because I was so cold.
2: Yeah, so hopefully we get better luck in our land. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent-to-retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rented to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
4: Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Okay, so the main point of this episode this week is not only to learn from some great investors, but to learn also how much of a creepy neighbor Tony is as we bring on two people who he drives by their house and when he actually met them at a meetup says, I actually know where you live. I know where your house is, so... We'll get into that story, but Tony, do you wanna introduce everyone to your neighbors?
2: Yeah. So today we have Devana and Reed, their husband and wife duo, and they actually have a, a very unique niche, which is which is why I was so excited to get them on the podcast. Um, but they invest in sober living facilities which is something that I've actually never met anyone else there that does. So in today's episode, we break down exactly what a sober facility is, like a sober living house is, uh, the steps you need to do to get folks into the home, they talk about how they manage the properties, they talk about how they, they screen the tenants, um, and they they also talk about why these types of investments are so important to them. And they, they really caution everyone at the end of this episode that once you hear the tremendous returns that they get, don't just start chasing the strategy just for the returns alone, but make sure that your heart is in it as well. So I, th- I thought that was a really important thing to call out uh, for our listeners as well.
1: Yeah, I, I love the part about just like their business model, because no matter what real estate strategy you're doing or whatever business you are in having the right business model and structure and kind of your mission statement really can help you increase the actual profit that you're bringing in. So listen to how they developed, how they run their properties and how that is impacting the success that they have in these properties. And when you listen to them talk about their their turnover rate, I think some of you are going to be very jealous that you don't have that Right now, in your long term rentals. And then when you compare it to Tony's short term rental turnover rate,
2: <laughs> Devana and Reed, I am so incredibly happy to have you guys in the Real Estate Ricky podcast. Before I even let you guys kind of get into your story, I just want to let the entire Ricky audience know that I basically had to beg you guys to come on to this podcast so as a quick backstory. Um, we host a monthly real estate meetup here in SoCal, me and my wife do. And Devon and Reed live in the same city as me. They came out to the meetup and, you know, i chat with the folks at the meetup all the time. And after hearing their story and the the kind of unique niche in real estate they're operating in, um, I said, we got to get you guys on the podcast. So w- what's even more weird is that um, I actually knew where Devon and Reed lived before I even met them. Um, so, again, we live in the same town and every morning when I drive my son to school... I saw this ADU being built um, at the one of the houses on the corner. And it's super unique because in our city, there is no, there are no ADUs like anywhere. And me being a real estate investor, I was like, that's pretty cool. Someone's building an ADU in, in the city that I live in. So when I was talking to them and they were telling me their story and you know, they, they do this thing, but then they were also building this ADU. And I was like, wait is your house on this street and this street? And they were like, yes, that's that's our house. So we became fast friends after that. So anyway, Devana, Reed, thank you both so much for coming on to the podcast. We are super excited to have you here with us. Thank Thank you very much. So I've already given everyone a little bit of background, right? Obviously you got the ADU coming on, but if you can take it all the way back what was the the starting point for Devana and Reed as real estate investors and, and what kind of led you all into the niche that you currently kind of specialize in? So
0: I'll start with that. Um, I have background in addiction. I'm not personally in recovery myself, but some close people that I knew in my life were struggling with addiction and alcohol. Um, in 2007, I lost a really close person to me uh, with a heroin overdose. And that kind of started my brain going, like, I'm angry at addiction, but what could I do to not be angry anymore? Could I do something to help instead of sit sit in that anger? So my kids were too little at the, that time, but I my head started spinning about stuff. So I came to read one day and said, we we're looking for something else to do just to, with investments and stuff, why don't we buy a house and turn it into a sober living? And he looked at me and said, ok, <laughs> but I had no idea <laughs> what I was about to get him into.
2: and and Devana, just for those for those who don't know, define sober living like what is a sober living home?
0: A sober living home is a a structured home that has accountability and structure for somebody who is in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Um, So a lot of times people will leave a 30-day treatment center and then instead of going back into their toxic environment or maybe back into a house where their spouse is still drinking or something, they'll come to Sober Living where they have, like I said, the accountability, the structure, and they can kind of get their life back on track um, with a fellowship of people who are in the same place they are really it's a lot of support for them. So right away we started looking for a house and he's more the numbers guy and the construction and and I'm more the vision and oh, it all worked out. Let's just do it. <laughs> so we did and I to be honest with you I didn't really know what I was doing. I just thought I'm going to just do this and it's going to work. Um and so we we did. We went in and we built it and we thought of all the things and how how we can get beds in and and then um once it was all done that's when we took pictures, and I started, um, not really marketing it, but going to the rehabs and um, introducing myself.
5: We had no idea what we were getting into. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no idea. Oh, let's see.
0: Yeah. it's been an awesome journey. So the fun. first two weeks were really stressful because I didn't really, there, you know, there wasn't kind of. I mean, this was in 2014, so I wasn't really on social media and all that stuff back then either. So. I just did the footwork and went into rehabs to introduce myself. And after the first two weeks when we got our first client, it's like I can never look back. We've been filled with a waiting list ever since.
1: Well, that's really cool. Uh, The first question that I have about this is, this is actually a business. You are operating a business out of this. This isn't a long-term buy and hold where you, you get the tenant and then you leave it be and they just pay their rent. There's actually some sort of operation that goes into that. So how did you learn about this as you're kind of building out this property how did you know what you know somebody would be looking for for sober living how to attract them and then also how to build out the operations do you have any employees or team members
0: that help you with this project yeah so the the strange thing is growing up my grandma actually had a sober living i didn't really Understand it when I was younger or no we gone to it or I mm-hmm. maybe drove by didn't even go into it I mean, mm-hmm. I was young. Um, so I had heard the term before and then growing up with um, Some close people to me <laughs> that that were an addiction um, I ha- actually had to bring people to sober livings before um, and I would always walk in and and just I would leave crying Sometimes because they just were not a place. I wanted to leave somebody um so I had in my head that I wanted to do it different, um, and then I also reached out to the Sober Living Coalition in our our area, and I started going to their meetings. And they gave out like a kind of a packet, I guess, of some sorts that had and some intake papers. And then Reed and I really sat down and and thought about what 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 our why was, how we wanted people to feel in our house, um, and we started structuring our paperwork off of that and off of experiences that we knew people had in other sober livings like well how could we make it different and we just kind of formed it from there
5: well and devonna had uh so being or going to sober living homes before she would tell me stories about how horrible they were and it was the living environment you know the the landlord wouldn't put money back into the home so they were like dirty or like things weren't working and electrical outlets weren't working or different things and so she's telling me the stories and i'm thinking i have construction uh background in construction and i'm like well let's make this awesome so uh, i know exactly what to do we can you know put electrical outlets on each side of the bed instead of behind the bed and we'll make everything super convenient for everybody and i can do all that kind of stuff you know and and then that i mean you can give a better example of what you saw before but it was about how do we make this a place that we would want to live in a high quality like, like why 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 is a landlord skimping on their tenants uh, living space you know you want your tenants to be happy and you want them to be that they want to want to be there you know and I think that
2: was where the struggle is we saw like an area that we could really help well, first let me let me let me take a few steps back right. I I, I love the approach that you two are taking because it it shows that there are people who genuinely care about the folks that are staying inside of their properties. Um, When there are landlords that don't take care of the properties, don't make repairs, don't do, you know, CapEx, like it gives all landlords a bad name. And that's why when you talk about being a real estate investor, in some circles, you are a, a, immediately a bad person because you own investment properties. And I think if more people took the approach that you, Devon, and Reed are taking of of coming from a place of caring and and actually worrying and 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 working on the experience that people have when they come into your homes, it makes it a, a better thing for all of us. But but before we go too far, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. If we can just zoom out for a second, what is your what is your current portfolio look like today? Like like how many of these homes do you have? What other type of real estate investments? Just give us the thirty thousand foot view.
0: So we have three sober livings currently, um, with a total of forty seven beds, forty eight because I have an emergency bed. But um, so uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because I have those three houses, but I actually have forty seven paying people. So it's like a little apartment <laughs> a complex or or
5: something. Yeah, they're single family homes. They're not <laughs> they're not anything special. S- but
0: so. There's not really a term, like a strategy, like you hear all the time, like short-term or midterm or whatever. I don't really know. I'm almost bed hacking instead of house hacking. (laughs) I don't don't really know how else you would say it. So we rent the bed out instead of just the room. So there's shared bedrooms. Um, So we have three of those, and then we have one long-term, and we just built our first 1,200-square-foot four-bedroom ADU in the back of our house. So, with a total of like fifty-two paying tenants in in all of those, that's awesome!
1: Congratulations, you guys. Thank hey, you.
2: I just wanted to ask one follow up question, and, and maybe we'll get into this. But um, it, how how are these tenants paying for their beds? Is this a a county sponsored program where there's some kind of funding that they applied for that that's something like Section Eight, or is this a like a self pay program that you know? every person is is kind of paying for their own bed?
0: Uh, personally, we do private pay. So everyone's private pay. I do know of some houses who do county beds because um, there are state and county programs that do pay for sober livings. Um, I just personally don't because I, I really like to have the control over who comes in and who doesn't. And I think that's part of why we have a very low turnover rate. I mean, my average people who have stayed in our houses are one to six years. Like I literally have people who are there six years right now. And um and so I don't have that every two weeks somebody turns around and leaves. I have people who I, I offer quality sober living so people don't leave. I maybe get a bed open Every few months, so my my wait list is is hard. I feel like I have to turn a lot of people away.
1: Let's kind of talk about that, like having a wait list. So you mentioned that you guys go above and beyond with these properties. Are you guys the only ones having a wait list, or did you do some market research and see that there's actually a big demand for this type of housing, and there just wasn't enough supply in the area, or is it because of your model, or maybe a mix of both?
0: Yeah, um, I think a mix of both. There is a very high demand. But the other houses um, ha- have such a high turn that people go there and then something happens and they leave. So they're searching for that good home to stay in. And, um, and so they will go to those other houses, but they're not staying. They're not, um, there's all, you hear lots of stories about it. We just haven't had that experience because when, when we get the people, they're like, wow, this is like, I feel home. Like I feel comfortable here and I don't want to leave.
5: we've heard of other uh you know owners of sober livings say well how are you keeping how are you staying full right now and uh we haven't had the issues that other um sober livings have had uh there's obviously some good sober livings out there there's just not very many of them There's a lot of bad ones.
1: So, along with those lines, what rent, like what's the average rent you charge per bed? And then, what would be the difference if they were to go and rent a studio apartment or a single family apartment or a, a single bedroom? I'm just trying to look at the difference in cost and to like show what that motivation is to pay to have that kind of environment around you. So, it all
0: depends on the area we're in California, we're in Riverside County. So we charge um 700 a bed for our men's homes and 650 or I think we're at 650 for our women's house. Um if you go down to Orange County in in California, I mean a cheap bed is 1500 for like I don't know what you're getting, but 2500 a bed is like average. If you go into LA, 2500 to 5000 a bed is average. I mean, they go up to $35,000 a bed if you're in like a really nice place in Malibu. So um, I've seen sober livings down to like three. Eh, nowadays, probably 450 is like a lower end, but that's like...
1: How does... Uh, so the ones that you have that are 650 to a 700 how does that compare to if they were to go and rent a studio apartment...
0: In that same market, that same area,
1: what would the rent be for that?
0: In California, a studio apartment probably would be twelve hundred. Could you do you have Tony? I don't know what a studio. I mean, a one bedroom probably would be fifteen hundred for a one bedroom apartment in California.
2: The last time I had an apartment in California was six years ago, and I think I was paying like eighteen hundred dollars for a two bedroom. Um, so it's yeah, somewhere around there probably seems right in today's market. Um, I, I guess one follow up question for me. Um, so what what are the responsibilities? So actually, before I ask that question, let me ask this. How do you guys set your prices? So you're, you're at 650 versus 700. Is there a process for comping other sober living homes in the area so you know how much to charge?
0: Yeah, to be honest with you, I could charge way more because we have the quality that we're giving compared to what other sober livings are, I could. But this is my this is my philosophy. I'm making money, I'm making good money. And I want every single person that comes into my house to be able to do it on their own because by the time they get to us, they have exhausted family, you know, people are, they have burnt their bridges. And so I want them to gain that self-respect. So if they had to go get an entry-level job at McDonald's, even they would be able to pay their own rent and feel good about themselves and save some money and be successful in life. So I could I could ask more, but I feel like I'm in that really good balance where we're still making good money, but we're also helping people. Um, if our houses were in Orange County, they would be going for, on the very high end of rent. Um, we're comparable in Riverside, so maybe that's also why we have a wait list because they're like, well, I could pay for the house of courage <laughs> this much and I'm going to go other places for pretty much the same and I'm not getting nearly the quality of life.
5: Well, I, I think to, to go back on what Ashley had asked earlier, um, you know, so that $700 a month, that includes all the utilities. We're paying for toiletries, cleaning products, cable TV, air conditioning, heating, you know, to whatever temperature, no matter how hot or cold it is. Um, and so we have all of that incorporated into that dollar amount. You know, if you're going to go rent an apartment at let's say $1,500 Mm -hmm. Twelve 18, whatever. You're also paying for utilities and, you know, the other things we have Netflix included and certain things included. Um, so a lot of people are leaving the sober living home and going to get their own place and realizing, wow, I thought it was just the monthly rent of the apartment. No, there's a lot more to, to get the same quality of life that I had at the house of courage. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, that's part of, that's part of the benefit of going into uh, sober living and, and paying that amount. But um, you do have to live in a room with somebody else. So
0: uh, it, like a bedroom in our city, they're just going to go rent a bedroom out of somebody's house. They're going for like 950 to even $1,000 for just a bedroom in somebody else's house. But I think more so what they're looking for, it's not just that they need like an inexpensive place to stay, but they need the structure. People come to me and say, "I need the accountability because if I'm in a bedroom by myself, I might use or drink, and I want to be around, surrounded by people that go to meetings, that I can come home to and talk about my day, and I'm getting that support." So they're actually looking for that the accountability part of it.
2: So it, now, it, say saying that I'm someone that's brand new and I, I'm looking to start my first sober living facility, and I, I, I know you said that you you kind of undercharge a little bit, but is there a a tool or like a website or like, what should my process be if I wanted to understand what is the going rate for a bed in my city? So
0: I would start um, at like who you're looking to attract. So if you're looking to attract more like um, a professional that wants to have like really strict anonymity, maybe a, a, a police officer or a lawyer or something like that, they don't want their to have to share rooms with people. You could do more of an exclusive sober living and charge a higher rate and maybe do like a private room type situation. Uh if you're looking just for the average person, yeah, I think checking other sober livings and what they offer kind of uh, there's not really a a book or a um a thing to to go by. It's kind of I mean, I know people Who charge a little bit more than me a little bit less it's just kind of what you feel like you're
5: offering you can you can find the sober livings that are in an area uh through a couple different websites and you can just call them up and ask what are you charging yeah
0: and what do you offer what are your amenities we have a lot of amenities so
1: Yeah. And that's so interesting to me because I think of like rehab. You see, you know, you watch movies and there's people going to rehab and it's like, it's so expensive, you know, we can't afford it or whatever. And that's why I was curious as to how that rental price compared to having, you know, your own apartment where really it is more affordable and it's a great option plus you're getting that structure and that accountability of the sober living. So can you talk more about that actual operation? Is there, you know, is there somebody that's lives there full time? Do you have people, employees that come in and out and kind of monitor if someone, you know, has abused a substance?
0: Yeah, so we have managers that live in all of our houses. They live there 24 hours. They're allowed to have their own jobs outside so they kind of come and go. Um Um, and they monitor, like they check chores that have to be done every day. They make sure everybody's in on time. They pretty much make my life so nice. They do all the day-to-day operations. They do the disciplinary stuff, unless it's something that I have to step into, which I haven't had to do in a really long time. Um, they just, they just run the house for me. Um, so how we structure it with them is they live there for free. And they get the manager's room, you know, and they collect the rent for me if anybody pays. if they don't pay, um, some people don't have bank accounts yet and that kind of stuff. So if they have to pay in a different way than Venmo or another way, then they the manager would collect that and I would pick it up. Um but they pretty much do everything, everything for me
2: so one one follow up, like when you're when you're looking for these managers, um are you looking for someone with specific training or qualifications or? Is it you, Devana, and Reed that are finding, you know, just people that you feel are good people and then you're training them up how to be managers in that in that house?
0: So More this so is, a, yeah, it's a really, this is a really important fact. Um, I I think that they have to understand addiction because they're dealing with, you know, a lot of things come with addiction. There could be manipulation, old behavior and how they used to work um, when they were in their addiction. So the, the hardest part to find a manager is the first manager because you have to, Find somebody who's been in recovery to do that. Once you have a house full of people, I pull from the house. So if my manager were to tell me they were moving out tomorrow, I have 19 other guys that have been there for three years that know how to run the house. They've done everything. They're I know they're responsible and and whatever. So I usually go and pick somebody who would like to have that position. So we usually have a manager and an assistant manager so that there's always kind of eyes and ears if one's working, one's not and. And that and he might get half off.
2: Yeah. So then just to clarify, so your managers and assistant managers are people who came into your sober living home as like to, to stay there and then they've kind of leveled up to become your your management team. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yep. That is fantastic. That is fantastic.
0: And it gives them something to put on their resume. It um it gives them responsibility and purpose, which most of them want just to help to give back to the community that helped them. So
5: Yeah. And you have people living in the play in the uh in the house and they have pride in where they live. And so they want to keep that running the same way that it's been running. If you know they have a great manager that's been overseeing everything and that person leaves you know, there's usually a lot of people that are interested in stepping up to make sure that the house stays the quality and level um, of management that that they've seen. So uh, we usually have a lot of great people to pick from.
4: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, It might just change your life, just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When BiggerPockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then
2: books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout? Up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopifycom slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com/bp rookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com/bp rookie.
6: Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
2: So you you guys have talked a little bit about like the amenities that you offer and and kind of what that community looks like. Um, Are are there any like certain boxes that you have to check to be considered a sober living home? Like, you know, you have to offer this or you have to offer that. And if so, what are those requirements?
0: Um. So there's no requirements in terms of amenities. I mean, I've seen basic where they don't even turn the air conditioner on in California because they don't want to have the air conditioning bill. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad. Um, To be a sober living, the qualifications, I guess, if code enforcement were to come to your house, um, we do random drug testing and alcohol testing, and my managers do all of that. Um, So they log that. And then our people do some sort of self-care, like uh, either AA or NA meetings, therapy not in our house this is everything this is outside we don't provide any services um so we require it's three to five times a week that they do something um an outpatient program an a or NA meeting something like that and then we keep their logs so if somebody were to come to the door we could say nope look here's their stuff and here here we drug test them and that they and they sign something saying they are uh, um, a um in recovery from drugs and alcohol so we've never had an issue with having to prove it to anybody or anything. There's actually no, you can just buy a house and start a sober living. There's no license because we don't provide any service. Really, it's just like-minded people living together. Really, if you want to break it down.
1: (laughs) So how are you finding these people? You're going to the rehabs and you're giving them the information. Then they must refer people to you. And then what
0: does the screening process look like? This is another interesting thing. We have spent, I mean, we pay for our dona- domain names. I don't know, what is that, 100 bucks a year or something? Like That's the only money we've ever put into marketing, ever. Yeah. Not a single penny in marketing. Our people in our house are our best marketers. So when they go to their meetings and back to their rehabs and wherever they go, they just, people are like, oh, what house are you And It's like this whole community. And then we get 90% of our calls just from, word of mouth I guess um the screening process I still do all of that to me that's really important I haven't given that over to the managers yet um and I I just go through a series of questions and I don't know if I've been doing it so long I just know like in the first 3 seconds of the phone call I know if it's somebody I'm going to continue with or not um and I've just gotten kind of good at that process and so that my life isn't super chaotic getting a thousand phone calls a day. Cause I could probably get a hundred calls a day on my phone. I just kind of go through, I screen them first because I don't have any open beds. So then I'll, I'll go through my voicemails and get back to, to them or give them a text message quick or a, or a response like, no, we don't have a bed open. You know, I'll put you on the list or something like that. Um, so it's not, it used to be in the beginning. I wanted to talk to everybody and I had to, you know, I've learned how to simplify my life a little bit and, and, not have to talk to every single person that calls, but still get a good quality person. in. just learning those, having good processes and procedures in place has made my life like so simple around this. I don't think it takes any more time for me where I'm at in my stage than it would with a a mobile home park or even, I think even a short-term rental probably would be more work for me than what I'm doing right now.
1: Well, especially with your low turnover too with- having people stay for so long it's not like every you know every month you're having a new turnover
2: we are properties in joshua tree turn on average 12 to 15 times per month (laughs) you know so yeah to to have someone staying there one to six years is crazy
0: and when when i get the call then i just i just Set up the time. I text my manager and say somebody's coming in for the intake. They do all the intake paperwork. They do get them in. They do. I don't have to go over and do all of that. They do all that for me.
2: Yeah, I guess let's talk about that process. So, someone a lead comes in. Is it, is it typically that they're filling out a form on on your website, or, or what is like? How does that? How does that person typically come to you?
5: There <laughs> is no background it's, check.
0: By it's the way. so different than any. <laughs> like it does. Ever. Yeah, N- not completely. We don't do like a background check. We don't do a credit check because they all have passed. They probably all have bad credit. Um, it's I don't really know how to explain. It's like a gut feeling or just like how they answer the questions. And I've just had a really good
5: well. I, experience. I think I think you can tell when you're talking to somebody on the phone. Yeah, you can tell whether they really want to be in recovery or whether they're being forced to be in recovery and that's a big factor you know we want our house we want everybody to want to be there Mm -hmm. um if you have people that are mandated by the state to be in you know a sober living or something like that uh, that's not always bad they may be mandated but you can tell if they really want to be there and that's who we want as a tenant um you know that that's what makes everybody in the house like-minded when you have people that are like yeah i just have to be here but i can't wait to get out and do whatever, you know, uh, negative things, uh, that just doesn't help the house.
0: So to go back, I don't know, remember if Tony or Ashley asked me the question, but there's about, I don't know, seven questions that I asked that I can tell right away.
1: Can you give us an example of a couple of those? Just, you know, maybe
0: two or three. Yeah. So the first question I ask is if you're a 290 registrant, which is a registered sex offender, um, and these questions, let me let me just throw this out there. These questions just aren't to protect my house or myself. It's also to see if this is the right fit for them because I want to set them up for success. And um, you know, I know some people sometimes have a child that comes to visit. So I don't want them to get in trouble, you know, for being around some a child in a certain vicinity. So I always ask that. Um, my second question would be how long have you had clean and sober? And that's where it gets a little tricky. You gotta kind of experience like they'll tell you something, but you're like, When's the last day you used? <laughs> like, don't tell me two years ago when you got clean, but did you relapse? You know, you kind of ask those questions. Um, y- yeah, why, why, what's your why? Why do you want to be in sober living? Um if it's oh, my mom's kicking me out and I have no other place to go and I need to do this for a month, you know, or I really want to do this, I want to do this for myself, I want to do this for my family, whatever. Um, you can kind of just tell how they answer the questions. Um, Another one would be, do you have any violent offenses or any arson? Um, Are you registered arson? Like certain things like that. Now, there's some sober livings that don't ask any of these questions, and they just let – who if they have open bedding and you want to come, you can come. So, But that's where the ones that kind of have the turnover rate and have some crazy stories because they just really – I do ask about mental health because, again, I want to set them up for success. So I only take a certain level of mental health, and it has to be secondary. So they can't be – bipolar and because of that they drank once or twice like drugs and alcohol have to be their primary um issue and then a lot of times some mental health will come with that just because of the drug and alcohol use so if it's a higher level of care then i want to refer them out because i don't want to set somebody up in my house that has schizophrenia that we're not capable to handle and i don't want them to fail in my house so just certain questions like that, and then I can kind of move them to, you know, give them a phone number to where they need to look or say, sure, show up on Tuesday. <laughs> the manager will meet you.
2: So is, is there an ideal property type that you all look for when you're kind of scouting for new locations for your sober living homes? So
5: for us personally, yes. And, and this goes back a little bit onto what Devon was saying earlier. You know, it depends on the type of tenant that you want to have. So for us, we, we have multiple tenants per room. We don't want to have a, a single tenant per room. We're not looking for a, a higher end um, price range. So uh, we want to figure out how many people we want to have. For us, we're looking around 16 to 20 people per home it is like our range. Now, we do have a home that's, you know, that we have 10 people in, but we have some others that have more people. And we just found that's kind of our, our sweet spot so the size of the home is really important how many bedrooms and how many bathrooms is really important Um, bedrooms not as much um, because in with my construction background we can always make bedrooms out of certain living spaces um, but bathrooms are a little bit more expensive to build so you want to have the appropriate amount of bathrooms for, for your tenants
1: read one question real quick is there a certain like law or regulation as to how many people per a bathroom at all so like do you have to work around like okay if you can fit six beds in there you need at least two bathrooms or anything like that it's a six bed six
0: people to a bathroom
2: and is that sorry and is that based on city like regulations yeah okay
0: four people to a refrigerator and six people to a bathroom. Cool. So we have like five refrigerators.
1: Okay, so that's great advice right there. If someone is looking to do that, make sure you look into your city regulations, like I never even would have thought a refrigerator <laughs> at all is something that you would have to be careful of how many people you have in the property. Okay, sorry, go ahead, continue,
5: read. Outside of the size of the home and, and the uh, bedrooms and bathrooms, we want a location that is usually, we'd prefer to have a corner lot we're going to have a lot of cars um parking so we want to make sure we have enough area for people to park on the street um you know in a cul-de-sac would not work you <laughs> know you there's not enough parking space there um and then we want the the location to be uh kind of central to the recovery network so you need to look in your i mean there's a large city, and there's usually like a smaller hub of where recovery and meetings are are taking place. So you want to be closer to that because not everybody has a vehicle. Um, So public transportation is really important for us. Uh, We need to be close to a bus uh, stop and and easy to get to to close meetings and that kind of stuff. Another uh, important point for us is we need to be close to entry-level jobs. So usually next to uh, large retail areas and and places where you can get, or maybe uh, lots of industrial areas, the the types of uh, entry-level jobs uh, need to be fairly close uh, for people as well, because 95% of the people coming in are, um, they don't have a job, they've lost their job. They've been in rehab for a long period of time, and so they're coming out, they have to start fresh. Um, those are some of the biggest things I miss anything
0: yeah I would touch more on like the reason why we like corner lots too is because sometimes the guys will go outside to smoke and so I always put the table my thought process is put the table on the side where the neighbors not just so you don't have you know we all know about NIMBYs right <laughs> so you you could have a NIMBY in your backyard um so I try to be a really good neighbor and think of those little things to not irritate a neighbor as much as possible
2: Can we, since you mentioned neighbors, let's talk about that a little bit. Is is like how how receptive is the neighborhood to having a sober living home? You know, in their community, and and do you feel that there's a stigma at all around the home? Like like, or or just how? What's the reaction typically when you move in? I I did forget to mention uh,
5: (laughs) you need to check your city ordinances Um, if they're wherever you're looking to to start your sober living or group home need to make sure that uh, some cities have ordinances or anything that can make it more difficult to operate um but
0: yeah I will say this they are illegal ordinances but it's just how much time do you want to push back on that how much money do you want to spend on a lawyer to push back on that our city doesn't have any ordinances that continue but like San Bernardino County has some ordinances so it it just uh, you know, for the ease of your life, I would check ordinances first. Um, and to- oh, the NIMBY stuff. Um, so we've had we had an, an issue with one of our neighbors in um, at our house number two, and he saw you know a lot of guys, and he questioned it. And I told him it was a sober living. For me, I feel like it's more education. It's they when they hear a sober living, they think, oh, there's twenty drug addicts living next to me. It's going to be this crazy wild crazy house. And when I educate them and say, it's going to be the quietest house on the block, <laughs> they have to be in a curfew. They're not even drinking a glass of wine at night. You know, there's like no parties. There's no anything. Um, then after a couple months, he was like, wow, this is like, you know, we live in a um, where our house is, it's in a um, by University of um, Riverside. So there's a lot of student housing nearby. So they're they're like, oh, here we go, or another heart party house or whatever. But he's like, wow, this is the nicest house. And we make sure that our outside is kept up really nice so you wouldn't even be able to tell it was a sober living by driving by. Um, you know. And, and now he actually is really close with some of the neighbors. They help him unload his truck at night. They'll take his garbage cans in for him. And now there's no problem. But I think the stigma at first is like, whoa, what is this? But it, I think educating people. About what's happening, and then they kind of back off. Now, it also depends on the community. If you're in an HOA, you might get some pushback um, because it's not legally allowed to be because they are protected against the Federal Fair Housing Act. You can't; nobody can say they can't be there, but you're gonna you, you could get pushback. Um, yeah, if you're in a really exclusive neighborhood, you might get more pushback than just an, a working family neighborhood.
5: But we we also want to be the best looking house on the block. We, we we take a lot of pride, not on just the interior of the house and the operations of the home, but looking presentable on the exterior. So we're putting money into the exterior and we truly do have the nicest house on the block everywhere we're at. So with the landscaping and and the care and everything that goes into that and the neighbors know pretty quickly, like okay, this is not what I thought it was. So
1: would you guys want to go into one of the numbers on one of those properties for us, and kind of walk us through the purchase price, any rehab you did, and then you know what you're bringing in?
5: So I can do that. Um, there's, I'll, I'll give you just a quick backstory on on some of this to try and understand some of the numbers. So um, I'll give our our second house that we purchased as uh, as the example. So we found this property on the mls and that, that's where we've bought all ours we haven't had any special um, real estate Freedom. <laughs> like so yeah. anyways we, we found the house on the mls it was um it was a five bedroom three bathroom house uh it was 2800 square foot when we bought it uh the purchase price was four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars
2: which is pretty good for southern california <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: That was 2015. We weren't completely out of the recession yet, so it was a little cheap. Um, and uh, so we we just did with the conventional loan rate, our uh, loan route with 20% down um, on that. And we ended up putting a lot more into construction than we originally thought we would have to. And the, the quick backstory on that was um, our realtor uh, made us aware that there was a... Uh, an additional structure that was on the side of the house or on the back of the house that was attached that was not permitted. And we were under the impression, well, it's not permitted. It doesn't count as square footage of the property and all that kind of stuff. So we, we bought the property, you know, not needing that. But um, we went to get permits on doing construction work. We repiped the house with new plumbing and did some electrical work, got permits for all that. And what we didn't realize the city knew about the, um, unpermitted structure. And they said, okay, yeah, here, here's all these permits. It was super easy to get permits. And then, um, as soon as we got the permits, I went for my first inspection inspector comes out and says, yeah, I'm not going to give you an inspection until you tear the structure down. And that totally disrupted the backyard. So we ended up having to, uh, we ended up adding 600 square foot to the house and to cover that whole area. It was a, without going into all the details, it was a really ugly part of the property that we, after you tore it down and it was just a mess. So we ended up putting in $97,870 in construction costs (laughs) to the the house, so a lot more
2: than we planned on.
0: But that was the interior, uh, adding three bedrooms and then the 600 square.
2: Correct, yeah. Yeah. And and you guys have to furnish these as well, right? Correct, so and we've always done it on a, a
5: very creative way on furnishing. So we only put $9,000 worth of furnishing in this house, but, uh, yeah, we were, but it was, it's, it's done. nice. It, really nice. But, yeah. We've, it. we've used reclaimed wood and, you know, just painted things and just, we do a lot of the, the, the decor and furniture stuff ourselves. So, um, so we had $83,000 down on the conventional loan for the 20%. We had ninety-seven $97,000 and change for construction, 9000 for furnishings. And so all in, we're like $189,000, almost $190,000 in on the property. So that being said, we have a total of 20 tenants. There's 18 and a half of those are paying because we, you know, prorate for the system manager and the manager don't, don't have any, um, uh, payments or contributions. Um, the mortgage is $3,500. Utilities are around two thousand eight hundred eighteen hundred dollars 1800 $1, to $2,000. Um, so our net monthly profit is $7,580. Um, cash on cash return, everybody gets nervous about the almost $200,000 you put in. Cash on cash return, we're at 48%. So- you know, it took us just just about two years, just a little over two years to pay ourselves, pay back. ourselves completely back. So uh, it was a lot to put in; it was more than we thought. We thought we were going to have a better cash at cash return, but um, we're
0: happy so it with forty eight
2: percent.
1: Yeah, that's incredible.
2: My mind is blown right now. Like that is that is phenomenal numbers like congratulations guys that's fantastic you're gonna have so many people after this podcast like reaching out to you asking you how to get into this space it's gonna be crazy
0: i don't know bigger pockets maybe there needs to be a book in the future <laughs> how to start a sober living that's the worst part about being the host
1: of this podcast is that we immediately get shiny object syndrome it's like you know me and tony like you know right, right when this ends are gonna be like googling stuff and be like did you see this
2: do i have the time in my calendar to start started another business we'll see
0: i want to say this because there's really good money to be made in sober living i don't want everyone just to get a shiny address and just go start it and then not have their heart in it too right so there has to be a good balance of i want to help people and i'm making money you know because they are humans and just because they're on drugs and alcohol doesn't mean first of all that they don't deserve a good place to live but second of all that they they're just you know looked at as like, oh, cash cow, right? And that being said, I've seen a lot of people try to start sober livings. I'm sure, Tony, you guys probably have had the same thing in your spaces where people get the shiny out and they go, I can do this, you know, short-term rental, whatever. And then they kind of fade out because they're, they don't have that heart or that passion for what they're actually doing. They're to just about the money. And then I feel like 90% of the time that doesn't always just work out for people if it's, only for the money they had you have to have some heart in what you're doing right that's just my perspective
1: and you guys really touched on that too throughout this whole episode as to how you go above and beyond and one thing that really impacts that is how you're not having turnovers. You're getting people that are staying for six years and that having turnover so frequently really can hurt your bottom line. So you're not going to see that huge cash cow if you kind of just wing it and do, you know, mediocre and just be like, I want to, you know, just get cash out of this. I don't care about, you know, the tenants or the residents of the property or what the property is like. So I think you guys did a great job of showing that if you are going to get into something like this and you do really want to turn it into that cash cow and make it profitable, you really have to have that balance to keep
0: your residents, to keep your clients staying in the house. Yeah, definitely. And I think touching on that, Ashley, I look at other sober living homes and I sometimes I'll even go in them because I have to inspect them for if they want to be in the coalition because I sit on the board of the sober living coalition in Riverside and um. I think, wow, it's just interesting. Like why wouldn't you replace those dish towels? Like it's probably ten bucks, right, or something. On the bottom, you know overall picture, I'm still making a good amount of money if I go put new dish towels in, but my turnover rate, if it's junky and ugly, is gonna be so so much more of that. It's gonna be so chaotic for my life. Like just to go above and beyond there's just a the little extras that make people feel special and um, and you'll you'll get better clients and keep your tenants longer.
1: Let me ask a question about that. Are you doing inspections every so often on the properties or do you have your manager just report to you like, hey, we need new dish towels or is it kind of up to them to bring it to you if there should be something that's replaced? How does that work?
0: Yeah, so we have a list of everything we have in the house um, that's like laminated and every month when they give me their supply list or what they need, there's a place that they could put like I need light bulbs or the dish towels look whatever and they can just put dish towels or whatever and then I go get supplies. When I go visit the properties, which I probably, I mean, I used to go a lot more often than I do. Now I go maybe twice a month. I could go more if I wanted, but I'm so, I've been so busy lately. When I pop in and I notice something, like the other day I noticed, oh, these cabinets are looking a little funky. So I had my handyman go out there and paint them. Um, So if I see, I see things they don't see for sure, but for the most part, they'll let me know if the rugs or you know little things need to be replaced. They'll they'll let us know every month.
5: But you did have to kind of teach that because uh, a lot of people don't even realize how worn things get. They've just been using it and it's acceptable to them. So you yeah. had to go over and say, "Look, guys, when it looks this bad, we need a new
0: one." <laughs> we <laughs> so- need a new rug that doesn't have stains on it. We're okay with that. Yeah. But I think they're also so used to other server livings that that's just the, yeah. that's the standard that that I had yeah I had to teach them like we're okay with replacing these and I want it to be nice for you guys
5: yeah it's it's that it's the the tenants like, like we said earlier are the ones that are they're the ones that are selling the house they're marketing it for you and so if you're not constantly keeping it updated and doing more than others like we're just doing more than everybody else and and, and so they're letting everybody else know that and so that's that marketing is constantly every keep for everything exciting. we put into it, they let everybody else know. Yeah, we got this, and we got you know, we got new whatever. You know, we didn't even have to ask for them, it; just comes. So that that's how we keep.
0: Uh, also, though, when I first started this, I, I kind of got a few mentors, and I was like, oh, let me you know ask them how to do it, and they their advice to me was paint it all beige. Go to the thrift store and buy everything, because they'll thrash your house. And I was like, really? That sounds so depressing. I wouldn't want to live in house like that. So I did, like, you know, yeah. just my life. It's like what I do in my whole entire life. I do the opposite of what everyone tells me to do. So uh, it's a little rebel in me. But um, I did the opposite. I bought everything new. I did it all nice. I painted the walls really kind of like, almost like, it looks like something in Joshua Tree. Like, you know, one bright thing, paintings and... And they come in and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. They they feel so like good when they walk in. And I've never had one person in the nine years I've done this thrash my house. Maybe they've broken a cup on accident or something or dropped a plate or something. Never one time have I had somebody thrash one single thing in my house. Ever. So it just were it just worked out good for
2: us (laughs) i love the story that you guys have to share because and it goes back to your point earlier devon about like these are still people and folks in sober living facilities much like people that are on uh, food stamps or you know uh they're section 8 right like they they get a bad rap because there's a minority of folks that don't treat the properties well but in reality these are people who are almost your best tenants because they need this just as much or if not more than you need them as a tenant so um now i'd love to be able to share that
0: having that mutual respect respect with each other like they know that i respect them as a person they are so loyal to me i'm telling you, if i pull up and i have supplies in my car i have 10 guys unloading. i mean they're so nice to me and you would some of them have you know a tattoo over their eye they look like they've been in prison they are they're like they don't even understand what they do to my life like how much they teach me in my life too so without getting emotional i, lo- I love they're my best tenants and because they burned so many bridges they don't want to leave a good home like they don't have anywhere else to go they're either going to go back on the streets or junky sober living so they they've been really good and you would think with 20 guys in a house or 17 girls in a house that it would be like oh when you walk in But I'm telling you, the way I have my chores and stuff, I tell them not one time should every single day a mother or a parole officer or anybody should be able to walk into this house and be proud, to look at this house and go, wow, this is clean. And when I walk in, it's always clean. And we have a.m. and p.m. chores, so it never really can get that dirty. And they do. They do their little chore and it stays clean for that many people.
2: Well, Devon, you, you guys have shared so many golden nuggets about how how this not much talked about niche has been successful for you guys and for the people in your, in your home. So uh, before we wrap things up, I, I do just want to take a, a question from the audience. So this is a r- rookie request line. Typically, we pull a voicemail. Uh, today, we decided to pull a question from the Facebook group. But if you guys do want to get your voicemail played on the show, give us a call at 8885-ROOKIE, leave a voicemail and we might use it on the show. So today's question comes from Sarah L, and Sarah's question is: um, I work in the housing. I work in housing for the city of Boston, and I'm looking to open a trauma, sober, or domestic violence house of some sort for females. I see firsthand the need and the funding available, but I'm having trouble finding a mentor and/or advice on the topic. I've tried to reach out to the state, etc., and keep getting redirected. I want to start buying rental rental units, and would love it if I could. Uh, open up a nonprofit. Um, even if you're not familiar with nonprofits, I would really appreciate any advice. So here's kind of the, the second part of her question. Uh, should we use all 100K to put down on another property or try and buy two? Um, her and her husband both still work W-2 jobs and they have a, a few young children. So what, what's your advice to them? They're, they're looking basically for advice on on how to kind of break into the space and get some better information. Well,
0: yeah. So looking for a mentor, should I talk- about that real quick looking for a mentor there's a couple um national organizations that somebody could go to to just even google and look up information on sober livings or domestic uh, living there's also a really big need for women and children and men and children like single fathers that have children that need a safe place so um there's a, a lot of different little niches inside the sober living housing thing um I would can I give the should I give the uh
5: names of the no
0: so um NAR is a really good national organization it's info at NAR N-A-R-R dot org um and then there is the house of Ruth dot org is really great for domestic um situations um they've done a, a really great uh thing with how how they help women with domestic violence. So those might be two places people can go and look for information or even find mentors. Um, In terms of the putting all $100,000 down. I
5: I, If you're starting in this space, um, you know, a a niche of, you know, whether it's sober living or uh, domestic domestic violence, you know, um, help or whatever, I would suggest, not going to two locations at the same time, I think you really need to get your, um, get everything, your processes and everything figured out. Um, You know, we didn't go into it too much in the rest of the podcast, but the beginning of our journey uh, with our sober living, I would say the first six months to a year was was pretty hectic. Um, It wasn't just an easy jump in and we got it figured out. We had to create our processes over time and um, I wouldn't want additional levels of stress with multiple locations. That's just that's just me. When you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, anyway. there's not like a standard way that you have to run your location. Um, so specifically in the sober living, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different rules and processes, and um, that other places have. We had to figure ours out, and we had to figure our niche within the niche. Of how to manage and how to get our backlog. So I would suggest picking one location, and the idea of putting all hundred thousand in or not—I'm um, not sure on what size. You know, yeah, it
0: depends on would, the number, of the yeah, house. Right
5: uh, th- that's a tough one to to ask. I mean, the 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 case that we brought up where we put almost two hundred thousand—that was um, almost double what we put into one of our other homes. Um, so. It, it just depends on the project or the location and what you think you can get out of that. I think that's all I got.
1: Well, for our rookie exam today, because we have both of you on, we're going to kind of tailor it to you guys. And we want to know what is your next step with investing? Where do you
0: guys want to take it? So we're currently looking always for another house for another sober living. Right now in California, you know they say the prices have come down, but these big houses we're looking for are still really high. But so we're we're constantly looking if another good deal comes up, we I would jump on it. Um, we're also going to start uh, a little nervous out of my comfort zone, but I think we're going to start looking for out of state something out of state with maybe another midterm like what we're doing in our with our ADU. Um, and we already have all of our plans, um, to start building another ADU on one of our other properties. So that's something we're deciding right now. Like, you know, we're in that beginning of the year phase. We're like, okay, what direction should we go? We have all these different options. So, um, yeah, we're kind of really trying to decide, do we build the ADU right now? Do we buy something out of state? Do we get another sober living? But, um, those will all be something I think we focus on this year. Just, I don't know what, um, order order, they'll come in. Um, And then also we have another property we bought this year that is um, right here close to Eastville, but it's an acre property. And we kind of bought that more of like a personal property, even though it has a a house on it for a long-term tenant. We'd like to build a big shop for, you know, we have a 1948 travel trailer that we love and like, so just to house our, our stuff that, you know, extra tools and things. And so it's a little bit more of like a personal project. We'll probably build an ADU on that one as well. Um, so we've got all these little things. We just don't know what order we're doing them I in mean, quite yet.
2: Well, we appreciate you guys for sharing your story. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to give a shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar. Uh, this week's rock star is Emily Murray. And Emily says, uh, we are newbies and proud to have bought four properties this year. I just hit my 10-year anniversary at my hospital. It's a well-paying job and I'm thankful for, but my 10-year bonus was $1 hundred dollars. Uh after I fumed for hours, I decided to turn that into a positive and donated the bonus to a fund for patients with financial struggles. Um so congrats to you, Emily, and, and the goal is to buy former properties in 2023.
1: You guys, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um can you guys let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information?
0: Yes. Um so my, uh, Instagram handle, I have a couple, but investing mama is like my one for investing. <laughs> and then the one that I love to travel and do my investing on is be organic mama, like the little insect B E E. Um, my email is Devana D E V A N A. That's how you spell my, my weird crazy name. So Devana at the HappyHost.net. um, or Devana at thehouseofcourage.com. Devana,
1: you—we didn't touch on this at all, but I had seen it in the show notes. Is that you actually part of the reason you wanted to start this because you wanted to be a stay-at-home mom too? So that was like a big why for you, right?
0: Yeah, it was. I was a stay-at-home mom, and I wanted to continue. I wanted to find something that I could do with with continue to do with my kids. And yeah, and you know, my son—he got dragged and had to rip open houses, and you know, he goes over with me all the time, and he's. It's such a good experience for him, too. Like he's such an eye opening experience for him to like meet these people, too, and like understand that there's diversity in the world. And, you know,
1: thank you guys so much. And we really appreciate you coming on and sharing so much value with everyone. And hopefully there will be some people that have a passion for it and really want to help people that, you know, continue to make um, this great business model that you guys have made where it's cash flowing and also helping other people. I'm Ashley at Firm Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson, and we will be back on Saturday for a Rookie Reply.